Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue our discussions of the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're at the very beginning of the <coughs> third of his Sandarbhas. Uh, on the very first section, or Anucheta, uh, and we have this very first Anucheta of Srila Jiva Goswami in defining what is the nature of Paramatma is a rather long Anucheta and we've been on this for uh, a few classes now. There are three subsections to this Anucheta as developed by, uh, as presented by Sachin Ryan Das translation and commentary are being used for this series of classes. I want to go over a couple notes for the second subsection that I didn't get to in the last class just to wrap that up and have a full understanding. Remember that the second subsection dealt with the two verses from the 13th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, the first and second verse, wherein the nature of the field of activities and the knower of the field of activities is explained. And in that beginning of that 13th chapter, the first, in the first, very first verse of that chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is explaining the nature of the Jivatma and his field of activities. And then in the second verse, he's saying, but there is a knower of all fields of activities, and that is Paramatma. So the Chaitagya, knower of the field, is both the Jiva and the Paramatma. But Jiva goes a little further in his explanation of the knower and says, Yes, but when we hear the word Chaitragya, or the knower of the field, we should really understand comprehensively that the true knower is the Paramatma. The Jiva's knowing is pretty limited. It's limited by how they're influenced by the modes of material nature, whether that be in ignorance, passion, or goodness. Um, it's pretty limited by their bodily situation and the culture that they're born into. So how much knowledge do they really have until they come in contact with, with descending knowledge, with higher knowledge, with Vedic understanding? Until that time, their, their knowledge is, is pretty limited by this, their circumstance. Their circumstance is limited by their karmic involvement and the modes of nature that they're involved with. So a couple ending notes uh, on this middle section of the first section of the Paramatma Sandarbha. So there's a uh, verse in the Gita I am indeed the source and shelter of Brahman, of imperishable liberation, of eternal religion, and of absolute bliss. That's from the 14th chapter. 
So the explanation continues. This suggests that Brahman is nothing but an unqualified aspect of Bhagavan, as argued by Sri Jiva in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. From all these statements, it is clear that the essential intent of scripture is to establish Bhagavan as the ultimate reality, not Brahman. Sri Jiva thus shows on the authority of the Bhagavad Gita that there are two Shetragyas, two knowers <coughs> of the field, the individual living being and Paramatma. They are distinct and can never be absolutely one. Now that statement there is really going to take us into tonight's discussion. Um, wherever their oneness is indicated, in other words, wherever in scripture we hear of a oneness between ourselves and the Supreme, uh, it is only because the jiva is an integrated part of Paramatma and thus shares some identity of nature with him. And what is that identity? We're both conscious beings. God is fully conscious and we're conscious. His consciousness is unlimited and fully, fully apprehends everything. Our consciousness, according to our environment, according to our, our impressions from prior lives, as we discussed in the last uh, class, is limited. But they are never identical, as stated in the Gita. And then another verse from the Gita is quoted where Krishna says, In this way the field, Shetra, knowledge, Gyan, and the knowable, Nye, has been described in brief. Knowing this, my devotee attains my nature. According to this verse, the individuated knower is certainly not the supreme reality to be known, Nyaya. The Advaitavad scholars interpret the statement attains to my nature to mean that the jiva becomes one with the supreme. But this contradic contradicts numerous other statements such as, but there is another, the Supreme Purusha, who is called Paramatma. That's from the 15th chapter of the Gita. Sri Jiva thus glosses Madhbhava here as Sarsti and the liberation of attaining equal rank, status, or power as Bhagavan. This is supported in the Chantogya Upanishad which states that a liberated jiva attains the eightfold attributes of God. So we hear this, and this, this comes through in the uh, Brihad Bhagavatamrita, where we hear about the residents of Vaikuntha. They have the same form as the Lord. And Gopakumar, is, he's not gone through the gates into Vaikuntha yet, the gatekeepers said, well, we'd like to announce you. 
first of all, when he approached the gate, he thought he was seeing the Supreme Lord. The form was the same. Four arms, everything was... He was Narayan. So he's a paying obeisances. Oh, here's Narayan. Oh, no, we're not Narayan. <laughs> we're just the gatekeepers. So, but let us announce you and we'll take you to Lord Narayan. Just wait here a second. So he's waiting and these other residents of Vaikuntha are coming and going through the gate. And he's thinking all of them are, oh, you're Narayan, you've come out. Oh, no, you, no, I'm not Narayan. And he sees these, so they have the same qualities, these Vaikuntha Vasis, these residents of Vaikuntha. We're not speaking about Galoka here. Krishna's secret realm of play, playfulness. We're speaking about the Vaikuntha realm. Uh, and that's what's being spoken of here that generally when we speak of artha, dharma, karma, moksha, the four goals, one of them is liberation. And that liberation is experienced by the jiva through perfection. And it's either personal or impersonal. And the impersonal liberation is to merge into the form of the Lord. And... There's a lot of aspirants to that who never attain that true Brahmavad liberation because they're truly followers of a misconception of what Brahman realization is. And that misconception is primarily based upon an interpretation of scripture by Sankaracharya. So when they go to the scriptures, they take a well they take bad information from a misrepresentation through commentary the bhashya the commentary of sankaracharya which gives a false interpretation so there's real brahman realization and then there's what sankaracharya put forth as his own interpretation course he was Jesus, Lord Shiva and there was a whole reason for him doing that in that way because he was trying to bridge the gap between the Buddhists who had the primary they were seen as the real spiritual people of the day at that time but they had no connection humanity had no connection with the Veda so Sankaracharya Krishna sent Lord Shiva, well, please, get them on track. Get them to, you know, at least accept the Vedas. Let's, let's go from uh, Sunyavadi, that the ultimate goal of spir your spirituality is nothingness, to the ultimate goal of your spirituality is Spirit without qualities. Oh, yeah. We won't go there in depth. We should probably cover some of this, but um, so a lot of people were aspiring to Brahman under fall under the misconception of Sankaracharya's uh, 
philosophy. And a lot of what Jiva puts forth here is to counter that misconceptions, those misconceptions. So the Advaitavad school, Jiva's now attacking that school of misconception. Interpret the statement attains to my nature to mean that the Jiva becomes one with the Supreme. But this contradicts numerous other statements such as, but there is another, the Supreme Purusha who is called Paramatma. Gita 15.17 Sri Jiva thus glosses Madhbhava here as Sarsti to attain the same powers as the Lord like Gopakumar saw in those Vaikuntavasis. He couldn't tell one from the other. He couldn't tell well, which one of you are actually actually the Supreme Lord. He, he just he couldn't tell the difference. But there are a couple characteristics. Lakshmi's on his chest. But remember, Gopakumar was not trained in those details of spiritual knowledge. It was like a, a learn-as-you-go program with Gopakumar. He went to another domain of, of higher and higher consciousness, and he was taught taught when he got there so he went to he went to he begin begins his journey in the Bhagavata Muita and he he learns as he goes along and step by step he attains he attains rulership over over heaven he becomes Indra uh, he attains the position of Brahma but he didn't have prior scriptural knowledge of any of these different levels of consciousness from one to the other he went. So, what's this mean? A liberated jiva attains the eightfold attributes of God. But the liberation here that's being spoken of is the liberation in the conventional sense not really in the sense of our tradition, our Sampradaya, which has a conclusion that I don't want liberation. Nadanam najanam nasundarim kavitram va jagadishikamaye mama janmani janmani I don't want any attainments. I don't want artha, dharma, karma, or moksha. I'll accept them if they assist my service but really I just want service and I want that service to be performed purely so I want pure service which has to be saturated with pure love and I can attain that from associating with those that have that characteristic of pure unalloyed devotion to the Supreme So it concludes this section. Thus, it is perfectly clear that the individual jiva is never, is ever distinct from and subservient to the supreme person or Purushottam. He alone is the substantive reality to be known. Yea, 
and the means of the self-revelation of that truth is unconditional devotion. After being endowed with this realization, the jiva becomes like him and yet still remains ever distinct and subservient. And even if we look to those residents that are residing in Krishna's intimate domain, Goloka, Vrindavan, the Rajabhasis, well, how powerful do they become? They may not look like Krishna, but if they're wrestling, they might defeat Krishna. They may be riding on Krishna's back at the end of the day. They also have unlimited powers, just like those Vishnu dutas, or those living entities that look just like Lord Vishnu and have all of those characteristics that he has, the six main Bhagavan characteristics. So there's nothing that is not attained by Krishna's devotees. So we're coming this evening to the third subsection of the first section of the of the Paramatma Sandarbha. And we've kind of gone over a lot of what's presented here, but Jiva in his typical fashion is continuing to pound the post. He's presenting it again and bringing out a couple more nuanced features. So, Paramatma is the primary Shetragya in all. <laughs> so after demonstrating that these two knowers of the field, Shetragya, the Jiva and the Paramatma, and that Paramatma is the supreme witness, Sri Jiva Goswami returns to the Gita verses 1 and 2 of the 13th chapter to remove any further doubts about this topic, in case you had any. His main objection to the Vivata theory, which denies the ontological existence of the individual self, His main objection is to the Vivarta theory, which denies the ontological existence of the individual self. So what's he mean by that? Vivartavad is that which says what? In the ultimate issue, we're all Brahman. Uh, in, the, in the realm of that type of consciousness which strives for merging into the Supreme Brahman as the ultimate objective of spiritual practice. Um, in the interim, one of their practices is what? You're Narayan, I'm Narayan, we're all Narayan. So this is part of Vivarta Bad. So Jiva Goswami doesn't want us to misunderstand these beginning verses of the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita to mean that the Jiva, his observation of the field of activity and the, his, be, his actions as Shetragya and God's actions of Shetragya 
end in a spiritual liberation from material existence wherein the jiva and the supreme are this are seen as the same in other words the elimination of the individuated consciousness of the jivatma that's actually the goal of some transcendentalists to obliterate themselves that's not the goal of the bhakti so it goes on to say yet individuality is a, is the essential ingredient of bhakti so we're not interested in that it is a spiritual goal we can't deny it it is in the scriptures it is an objection of some transcendentalists but we run away we would rather be a materialist than that kind of spiritualist we are not interested in merging in the supreme brahman in so individuality is required for for bhakti in which the jiva is understood as an eternally distinct conscious entity but not independent of bhagavan so that's our objective and he wants to make sure that if you remember what are the sandarbhas about they're about giving us the deepest most comprehensive understanding of scripture so he's he's letting us know in the beginning of this paramatma sandarbha don't be misled by a commentary on the bhagavad gita which looks at these first two verses of the 13th chapter and tells you that in the ultimate issue your individual consciousness will be obliterated when you attain moksha or liberation you have a field of activity now and that field of activity is is distinct and god has a field of activity and your field of activity is not god's field of activity and that distinctiveness is eternal can you obliterate it if you truly desire to merge in the form of the lord you can do that but that's not the highest attainment of liberation that's a qualityless attainment of spirituality and that's not what krishna recommends in the bhagavad gita again and again he's reinforced that here at the beginning of the paramatma sandarbha so now jiva goswami continues this is the sandarbha itself and he says this is a section just letting us know that paramatma is the supreme witness therefore in light of the above discussion the whole the last subsection we went through we must reexamine the statement of the gita's 13th chapter first and second verse beginning with this body is called the field shetra in the following way you need to look at it this way the pronoun idam this indicates that which is directly perceptible or in proximity to each individual 
every individual directly perceives his or her own body. The use of the singular for both Sarira and Shetra in this verse should be taken to mean the individual bodies and not just one in any absolute monistic sense. In other words, the K in this particular first verse, um, the words are singular in Sanskrit. Sarira, the body, and field of activities, Shetra. But don't take that to mean that all bodies are the same and that all fields are the same and that and that ultimately they all merge into the same. And not just one in an absolute monistic sense. Taking an individual body as representative Rather, what we need to see from the Sanskrit grammar is a presentation that's taking the individual body, looking at one body, and saying it's representative of a class. So Jiva's pointing that out to us. Don't be misled by the way Krishna presented what's being or what he said this is necessarily the case because in the next verse the plural in all shatras is used so krishna clarify, clarifies it in the second verse of the 13th chapter i am the shatragya in all bodies so in all bo he's clarifying it himself and Jeeva's pointing out to us in this, the beginning of his Sandarbha, exactly how to see it. In the statement, Jiva goes on, in the statement, the one who knows this body is called the knower of the field. The act of knowing means to know from the particular perspective indicated in the previously quoted Bhagavatam verse. Remember, this Anucheta started out with a verse of the Bhagavatam from the fifth canto, wherein Jad Bharat uh, was instructing King Rahugana. So he says, see, we need to see this act of knowing, understanding, knowing what's going on around us in our field of action, has to be seen in the light of the first praman or evidentiary verse I used from the Srimad Bhagavatam to explain this all to you. See it in that way. So he again quotes from that verse. Although a jiva can know all these, the body, the senses, and so on, as well as the gunas of primordial nature, he does not know the omniscient and limited Bhagavan. Our field can't take us into that realm. That knowledge, we 
our sense, senses just won't take us there. We can see the field. We can, we have ears. We have eyes. We have a nose. We have a tongue. We have the sense of feel. We can get some knowledge of the field. We can also intuit some knowledge from the field, like the three modes of material nature. We can see. I'm not like you. You're not like me. I can see you. You know, I'm not like. So we can see, we can intuit some distinctions between the way we act and feel and will within the world and the way somebody else. So therefore, we can even know through our intuition that there are, there are these modes of material nature and they're influencing me but they're not influencing me the way they're influencing other people. So my senses can take me so far, but they're not going to take me into these senses are not going to allow me entrance into an understanding of that supreme unlimited personality. They do not have the, that ability. That's also stressed again. Um, by a verse, Atashri Krishna Namadi Nabaved Gram Indriya. These Indriyas, Atashri Krishna, they're not going to allow us to perceive Krishna. That's, that's revelation. That has to be revealed to us by Krishna himself. And we can gradually learn about his character and that revelation can gradually come to us uh, through the through the agency of his swarup shakti, which we which we experience primarily through the mercy of his devotee, the sadhus. We can't know Bhagavan of our own accord. And from the perspective mentioned in the first verse under discussion here, the pure knower of the presentational field merely witnesses these beginningless modifications of the impure mind. So the, the status of ourselves is we're seeing and perceiving the world through an impure mind primarily. There's a means to purify the mind, Shaito Darpanamarjanam, but primarily the minds of the jivatmas are impure to greater and lesser degrees according to the influence of the modes of material nature. You can get so far in the mode of goodness. You can become a jnani. You can, you can attain a lot through the mode of goodness, but there's not. it will only take you so far. Jiva goes on to make it clear that a comprehensive knowing of the field is only available to, as Krishna says, me alone. So Jiva goes on. In the Gita, the second verse of the 13th chapter, 
Know Me Also is the Chaitanya, should be read as follows. Let me give you the proper Jiva Seg. I'm going to give you now a comprehensive, proper understanding of how this verse should be understood. Know me alone, the original, complete person, Swayam Bhagavan, to be the knower of all fields whatsoever. There's nothing out of my, Krishna speaking, there's, there's nothing outside of my range of knowledge. Kind of a, well, he's saying, I know it all, is basically what he's saying. I know it all. Uh, to be the knower of all fields whatsoever, both individual and collective. Unlike the previously mentioned knowers of the field in the last verse that I just spoke to you, who know only the individual field of their respective bodies. This same idea, Jiva goes on, was stated by Sri Krishna in an earlier chapter in the Bhagavad Gita. Then he quotes from the 10th chapter, I pervade and support this entire cosmos by a single fragment of my power. And there's, there's deeper meaning that Jiva wants to bring out. This single fragment of my power. Krishna is speaking to Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Who's the fragment of a, the power he's speaking about? He pervades and supports this entire cosmos by a single fragment of my power. My Paramatma manifestations. That's the single fragment that Krishna is speaking of. And he's going to further define that fragment as being the three Purusha avatars in the next Anucheda. Jiva continues, one, re one should resort to a secondary meaning only when there is no other alternative. Even so, if by these words Krishna's intention was to equate the Jiva to himself, and then, of course, Jiva explains it in Sanskrit, so the translation is a little interesting. We'll follow it along just to experience it. Mm. Then instead of saying, know me also as the knower, Shetragya, uh, situated within all fields, he would have simply said, know me to be the Shetragya, also in that precise nature, and know me to be the Shetragya, to that extent, I'm sorry, to that exact same extent. And there would have been no need for the additional in all fields. O Bharat. Jiva again is pointing out Krishna is not putting forth an understanding of the knower of the fields wherein they should be seen as the same under a false application of the Brahman 
understanding of spirituality. They're distinct. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, I'm the knower in all shatras. He's making that distinction for a specific reason. Jiva's accentuating that statement for what reason? Well, because of his time and his culture and his necessity to bring out what was the true siddhanta or the philosophical conclusions that constitute the presentation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's giving this highest concept that embraces both Achinta, Veda, Veda, Tattva. We are God, but we're not God in the fullest sense. Veda, Abeda. Instead, Jiva goes on, he considered it necessary to speak of two Shetrakyas. As in the two Bhagavatam verses, cited as the principal verses of this section or this Anucheta. So remember how Jiva presents these things. He gives a primary primary evidential verse or verses to support the tattva or the knowledge that he's trying to convey to us. And he told us this at the very beginning in the Tattva Sundarbi said primarily I will be using the Srimad Bhagavatam as my praman, as my evidence. And then he went into quite a lengthy and detailed explanation to us as his students of why Srimad Bhagavatam was the topmost understanding of Vedanta. The cream, unadulterated, not presented for any materialistic objective which some of the Vedic Vedas are presented for. They're presented for the Karmakanda section of human society, the Jnanakanda section, the yogic section. And they have different goals and aspirations. But if you, as a living entity, want the highest attainment, then use the very best presentation of a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, which is the Srimad Bhagavatam. Likewise, the Brahma Sutra states following, this is from the Vedanta Sutra, 1 to 11, two Atmas have entered the cavity of the heart because it is so described in the scriptures. Jiva goes on. Scriptural statements must be seen in context. This is an interesting presentation by him as how a statement in scripture can seem to make no sense at all. But if you put it in context and you know how to see scriptural statements, you can understand it Properly. Furthermore, Sri Krishna in concludes 
this topic. In other words, he concludes this discussion that he's opened his 13th chapter with. He concludes the topic in the 21st and 22nd verse of that 13th chapter. So he opened up with the first and second, concludes by saying that there are indeed two types of Shetragya. Therefore, because, and these are the verses, so this is at the end of the 13th chapter, being situated in matter, the body, the living being, Purusha, experiences the objects, gunas, born of material nature. Attachment to material objects, the byproducts of the gunas, is the cause of its birth in higher and lower species. The 22nd verse. In this body there is another Purusha, who is also referred to as the witness, the sanctioner, the sustainer, the protector, the almighty ruler, and the supreme imminent self, Paramatma. So we'll go back to the Anucheta. Therefore, because the introductory meaning is dependent upon the conclusion, this alone is the appropriate understanding. This is of the nature of proper logical <coughs> presentation that is core to the intellectual, uh, I guess you'd call it, of Jiva's time and should be of any time. That the opening statement by an author in any one section of a book or maybe the book itself, the introductory statements must be in harmony with the ending statement. The author's not going to say something in the beginning, I'm going to tell you about this, and it, what it means is so-and-so, and then at the end, completely say, well, that's not really what I meant to say. If he's, if he's a knowledgeable author, he won't do that, and if he did that... In, a, in the circle of learned philosophers and logicians and authors, well, his, his composition would be rejected by them. So Jiva's using that logic here and saying an author who has any credibility, and this is the Supreme Lord speaking, so <laughs> there should be some credibility there, then we should see what were his opening statements and what are his closing statements and are they in harmony. And we can see that they are so there can be no misunderstanding about what's be, the knowledge that's being presented here in, by Krishna in the 13th chapter of his Gita, his discussion with Arjuna. The same principle of the conclusion determining the proper understanding of an introductory statement applies to the following of Brahma Sutra. And this is interesting. If it is argued, this is from the Brahma Sutra, if it is argued that the effect does not exist in the cause because of the Shru, because the Shruti speaks 
of the world's not worlds non-existence aside prior to creation this is not so because concluding statements show that the word asat doesn't exist right asat sat chitananda sat means existence so jiva's using this says well it says that first there was a sat there was no existence shows that the word asat is used instead to denote the difference of characteristics and not absolute non-existence so in the next class we'll unpack this a little more but the basic sense that jeeva is trying to convey to us is something doesn't come from nothing that's just plain logic so if you read a sutra if you read an explanation is before there was before this manifestation it was a sat you can't take the term a sat literally it means it just was not manifested yet it's not that something came into existence from nothing we'll stop there for this evening any questions this term vavartavad mhm so it just means advaita philosophy essentially or something yeah vivarta is is that understanding that ultimately the manifestation of the material universe is it's false it's illusory it doesn't have any true existence in reality that's not our philosophy we we accept it as being a little bit troublesome for us but it is a shakti of the supreme vivartavad means no it's not a shakti of the supreme it's simply bore of ignorance so when you eliminate ignorance you eliminate <laughs> maya and the elimination of maya means you've entered into brahman all right we'll end with that thank you so much for your association